Last night, we talked about uh, who am I? And we asked that question, and we went through looking all the way back to Genesis, to the fall, to what the, the way in which that who we were, we were created to be, and how that kind of got messed up, right, um, with the fall, how Jesus comes to redeem us, and really, this whole season of Advent, this whole experience of our faith is best understood if we can recognize ourselves as first and foremost sons and daughters of God. Spoke on an hour last night, and that's about everything I said in a minute. Um, hopefully, that's a good enough expl- explanation. Tonight, instead of looking at who we are first, we're going to look at who God is to us. Now, there's a reason why we come to Mass tonight to to dive into that question, because Mass is all about the complete and total focus of us and God being one-on-one. Like, Mass is all about us coming into God's presence in the church, coming into His presence here on the altar, and it's Him and us being in communion with one another. That's why what we call what we do at the front right here communion, right? If we ask the question, though, of who is God, we got to first ask, um, before we ask the question of who is God, let's start by just like kind of examining why we ask who people are. What do I mean? One of the things that has come to fascinate me over the last few years has been the ways that like interviewers for jobs how they'll ask certain questions or they'll do certain things during an interview to find something out about the person. Now, sometimes if you've never been in a, in a job interview, uh, it's coming, don't worry. But if you've, if, when you sit in a job interview, there's some strange questions that will happen. There's usually some tips and some tricks of how you kind of like approach the room or how you approach the people. One of the things that interviewers will do a lot of times is they'll leave just some space for silence. They'll ask you a question, and they'll wait a solid five or ten seconds to ask the next question. And part of the reason why is because they want to see if you're a nervous person. They want to see if you're going to share something, like you're going to get nervous and share something a little bit too much, or start talking a little bit too much because you don't like quiet. Just saying, that's one of my problems, right? Um, Another thing that interviewers would do sometimes is they'll ask the question of, when can you start? Now, most of the time, they'll ask this question, though, not like seeing how eager you are to get into the job, but they'll ask this question to test, if if they know you have another job, to test, will you leave them stranded, or are you going to do, I'm going to give two weeks, and I'll see you in two weeks, two to three weeks, because they want to know the character of the person that they're inviting into their office. Another thing they'll do? is every interviewer ever is going to be super happy. They're all going to be very, very happy and nice and inviting. Come on, sit down, because if they can get you happy and comfortable, you're more likely to say the truth. And the last one that they'll do is a lot of times they'll leave you kind of waiting in the waiting room for no reason. They've got no one in their office. They've got nothing else going on, but they'll just leave you in the waiting room with the receptionist and have the receptionist ask a couple of questions. Do you need anything? How is your day going? And then after you leave the interview, 
The receptionist gets questioned as well. Hey, what was their demeanor? Were they rude? Were they flirting with you? Like what kind of, because they're looking for any insight into who that person is. Well, tonight when we're looking at God, we can look for any possible way to find out and to describe God and who he is to us by just diving into who Jesus told us he is. Like that's the beautiful question about our faith is that we have all kind of big questions and so often they're answered pretty explicitly. In the scripture, Jesus has been walking with his disciples at this point for a couple of years. They've gotten really close to him. They've been formed by him. They know him. Great. And one of the things he does, or one of the things they do is they pull him aside and they say, Lord, like, we really appreciate all of this formation. We really appreciate being with you and getting to know you. But like, we want to pray like you. Like, can you teach us how to pray? Can you teach us how to relate to God the way you do? Jesus answers, gets the question. He's like, okay. Y'all want to know? When you pray, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we know the rest. We're going to say it in a few minutes. Jesus gives us the answer. Who God is. Very plainly, our Father. Now I know when we hear that kind of language, sometimes like the word Father, we might not understand completely. It might just be something that's really comfortable for us to hear at this point because we've been hearing it since we were in diapers, right? It might have been the first prayer that we learned to pray when we were a kid. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We were tested on it, and if we didn't pass, we were on our knees, right? Well, like over the course of our life, that image of Father is something that really does, it, it, it says something really profound about who God is. If God's supposed to be our Father, He's supposed to be the one providing. He's the, supposed to be the one loving. He's supposed to be the one that is so engaged in our life and protecting us in our life that nothing bad could ever happen. But what oftentimes happens is like we know this in our mind that that's what it's supposed to be like. But oftentimes what happens in our life is that like our dads don't live up to that bar all the time. Like sometimes our dads don't live up to that high bar of who a father is quote unquote supposed to be. The catechism says in, in, in it's uh, paragraph 2779, the catechism talks about calling God Father and says one of the first things we have to do before we engage in any kind of conversation about God being Father is we have to recognize that sometimes we throw a filter on God. That sometimes our experience in the world, our experience of moms and dads and authority figures, sometimes can color our image of God. What do I mean? I love my dad to death. Thank God he ain't here because I would never use this story. But I love my dad to death. My dad, though, when I was growing up, my dad all my life was my coach. 
He was a good dad. He was engaged in every single thing that I ever did. Like, he went learn how to coach basketball when I decided I was going to play bitty basketball, right? He, he was always there and always my coach. Awesome, good, fantastic. Me and him to this day are still best of friends, and it's awesome. One thing, though, about that, though, was I, I noticed something whenever I reflect back on my life is that every day after a baseball game, when I was on my way home, I would ask the question, Dad, how did I do today? Dad, how did I do? Now, that, sound, that may sound like a harmless question, but what the question behind the question there really was, hey, Dad, do you love me? Did I do good enough? Oh, you went three for four, man. That's great. Like, that's awesome. Awesome. So I just have to go three for four, and it's awesome, and that's good enough. Okay. It's nothing on him. It's nothing on my dad. It's nothing on the way that my dad lived. But as a kid, I wasn't asking for a stat analysis. As a kid, I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to experience the love of a father. Fast forward now, years later, on retreat, years later when I get into the seminary, and I question, well, why is it that sometimes when I relate to God, I start thinking, well, did I do enough to earn his love? Because without trying, I took the filter from my life and threw it on God. Another way that this can look. If you had a dad that was a little bit of an authoritarian, you walk a straight line, you don't ask questions, and you just do because I said so. Is there a wonder why we might look at God later on in life sometimes as a vengeful God, a God who's waiting for us to fall, and we throw that mask on the God? Maybe, maybe, it, maybe neither one of those cases was you. Maybe your dad just quite honestly wasn't there. Well, he might have been there in body, but maybe like emotionally, he's just not there. He's distant, cold. No. Fast forward. No. Does God exist? No. And if he does, does he care about anything in my life? God's distant. He's cold. I think this is something that we have to dive into as the catechism does and as Christ does. That before we're going to talk about God as our Father, we got to be vulnerable for a moment and just say, like, Lord, you got to tear down all of these masks. You've got to purify every one of these masks that might be coloring the way that I see you. Like tonight is all about seeing God for who he is and not for who we think he might be. Tonight is about coming into encounter face-to-face, one-on-one with God. Every Mass is about coming to face-to-face, one-on-one in communion with God as he is, not as we might think we see him. Scripture also says very plainly that God is a father, and St. John takes it and says, God is love. 
So I hear that and I say, if God is a father and God is love, then what a father is meant to do is love and love perfectly. So we don't have a God who's distant or that we have to earn anything from or a God who has to be vengeful and cold and hard on us. We have a God who loves. And he loves in two ways in particular. The first way he loves is he loves us in a surprising way. And the second way he loves is that he loves us tirelessly. In a surprising way, and he's tireless in his love. We hear in this, this scripture this evening about the Annunciation, about how Jesus is going to come into the world through a virgin woman. Now Mary at this time is 13 years old. She's a peasant little girl living in the Near East in some distant village named Bethlehem. I mean, named Nazareth, Nazareth. And no one knows her from anyone. There's nothing special about her. Not that anybody can see. She's the good little girl. But that's about it. If God's going to come and send his son, and he's gonna, his son is going to enter into the world, it seems like he should enter into the world in a little bit more magnificent way. It seems like he should come into the world not through a peasant poor little girl in a corner of the world that everybody forgot about, but like through some kind of kingdom somewhere, through some kind of dynasty somewhere. Like during this time, all over the world, there are kingdoms and dynasties and all these things that are going on. And what does God decide to do? He decides to go through the poor little girl who's forgotten. Well, if he's going to do that, at least he's going to be born in like a nice place. Wrong again. He surprises us again. He doesn't get born in some kind of nice, beautiful place. He gets born in a barn. Well, at least he's going to have like a nice crib, like something like pottery barn, something cleaned up, pretty nice, you know, pretty. No, he gets put in a state. He's in a stable, and what they have time to do is throw some hay in a feeding trough and put the baby there. Well, at least maybe the people that come see him are going to be like politicians and dignitaries and all these people. The first people that came see him were a bunch of stinking shepherds. And the second were a bunch of kings who were running away from the king who hired them. God comes in a completely surprising way, in a completely unexpected way to fulfill what his promise was throughout all of the time of the Jewish kingdom, throughout all the time of the Jewish people walking through the desert, all the prophets, what we hear in the first reading from Isaiah, that the Son of Man is going to come through a virgin. From From the very beginning in Genesis, where we hear that from the very moment of the fall, God had it in his plan that he was going to send his Son So for thousands of years, people expected the Messiah to come in some booming, amazing, loud way, and he came through a virgin in a barn and was put in a feeding trough. God works in an unexpected and powerful way to to bring about his son's entrance into the world. 
And in the same way, he works in that unexpected and powerful way in our life. I didn't want to be a priest. As a kid, the last thing on my mind was that I wanted to be a priest. The last thing on my mind really was that I wanted to go to church. I seriously started going to youth group because I wanted to get numbers. That didn't work out so well. But anyway, the last thing that I wanted to do in my life was be a priest. Because I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to have my own kids. I wanted to be able to be someone else's coach. I wanted to be able to mold people and live like my family in the same way that I was loved. I didn't want to be a priest. But in an unexpected and beautiful way, the Lord said, look, all that stuff that would make you a good dad, all those things that you want to do that makes you, a da- that you, see, that makes you attracted to being a dad, I'm going to let you do all of those as a priest, and he has. I'm going to let you do every one of those things, all those desires of your heart, that, to fulf- that all those desires you want fulfilled with a family, I'm going to give you a parish. I'm going to give you the priesthood to do it. And it's amazing because every desire of my heart from the way in which that I wanted to raise my kids has now been experienced as a priest. And it's beautiful and completely unexpected. It's, a, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing life to say yes to the Lord and let Him fulfill His plan for you in the way that He wants to. And oftentimes it sounds a lot like a blessed mother. Oftentimes it sounds a lot like, you know what, I'm the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to your will. I guarantee you Mary growing up had dreams. I guarantee you growing up Mary wanted, had a bunch of dreams and ideas about what her life was going to look like. And then an angel showed up in her room one day. And God invited her into something bigger. That's exactly what God does to each one of us. He invites us in a completely surprising and unexpected way. All we have to do is echo Mary's yes. The other way that God, God's love is unique is that God's love as a father is unique in the way of being completely and totally tireless. It does not slow down. It continues and continues and continues to chase us no matter how much we run, no matter how distant we are, no matter how much we have maybe fallen from grace in our life, God's love does not quit. No matter how much we reject it, no matter how much we try and block it, it does not quit. It is completely and totally relentless in its pursuit of you and I. When I was in high school, I knew I, I felt like this whole thing, like maybe I want to be a priest. I don't know. Um, I, I kind of freaked out because that means like no girls, no LSU. Okay, let me go to school. Like, and I run to college. That whole, that whole priesthood thing's behind me. That whole thought is behind me. And it didn't take long for college not to be fulfilling. 
It didn't take long for all of the football games and the national championship and everything else to not be fulfilling. That something about this experience was missing. No matter how hard I tried, it did not fulfill me. But I walked into a Catholic center one day. I walked into and I, and I started to build true Catholic Christian community and started taking my faith seriously, not because mom was going to have a conniption if I didn't go to Mass on Sunday, but because, hey, I wanted to be in relationship with God. I wanted to learn about my faith. I wanted to dive deeper into this relationship with God, into this relationship with prayer. And I realized from the moment that I was a kid and first heard about the priesthood to that moment, the Lord had been tirelessly pursuing me. And I did a good job running away from him at times. I did a good job staying and loving him too at times. But no matter what I did, the Lord was constantly running after me every step of the way. Catechism 2567 says, man may flee from God, he may forget his creator, but the one and true God, the one and true Father of every one of us, tirelessly pursues each one of us and invites us into that mysterious encounter with him known as prayer. Like tonight, when we come to Mass, when we come to this celebration of the Eucharist, we may try to come with all the baggage in the world and wonder why on earth am I sitting in a church on a Thursday night? We might come with this, with this feeling of like, Lord, I don't know what you got for me, but I'm here and I'm kind of open. We might come questioning God and thinking he's this distant tyrant or this cold being or someone we have to earn love from. We might come with all kind of different images of God, but the reality is is that Mass being the highest form of prayer we have, that he comes to us face to face here. We see him face to face when we say, when we hear the words, body of Christ. We come face to face with that same Lord who has known us from the beginning and is going to go to no end, is going to go to no end to receive us, to find us, and to love us. At every single Mass you go to, the Lord, God Himself, steps from heaven to earth in a piece of bread for you. Like the Lord God, the same God who created everything, comes to meet you any way possible. We walk 10 feet to him. He walks a, a, an infinite distance down to meet us here tonight. We have a God that loves us to the point that he's going to let nothing get in the way of receiving us. Do we let the Lord surprise us? Like, do we let the Lord surprise us in our relationship with Him? Are we vulnerable enough to let Him surprise us? Do we let the Lord come to us? Or are we running away? Do we hold back? Do we try and block Him? Do we try and hide in a dark corner? 
Because regardless of whatever we're doing to stop him, he's coming. So tonight, as we complete this mission, but more importantly, as we approach the mystery and the beauty of Christmas, where we receive God in a whole new way, like where we receive God completely and totally into our lives anew as a baby, in an unexpected, completely unexpected, completely unannounced, and completely vulnerable way. Are, we pre- are our hearts prepared to be open to him? Has our yes been said? And if not, let tonight be that moment. When we come face to face with God, are we vulnerable, mask off, saying, Lord, this is who I am. Come and meet me. And take a moment from stopping, a, stopping our running away from him and for a moment turn to him. Tonight, we come to experience a father's love. The same way that the father runs out to his son and the prodigal son that we spoke of last night. And that same way God runs out to each one of us. It doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter the excuses that we want to say. It, it, all, everything else passes away. And God looks at us and says, I'm your father. And you're my child. Come and rest. Come and eat. And come and be with me. Amen.